It has been said that the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love your neighbor as yourself. To encounter another human being not as someone you can use, change, fix, help, save, enroll, convince, or control, but simply as someone who can spring you from the prison of yourself, if you will allow it. All you have to do is recognize another you out there, your other self in the world, for whom you may care as instinctively as you care for yourself, to become that person, even for a moment, is to understand what it means to die for yourself. This can be as frightening as it is liberating, and it may be the only real spiritual discipline there is. Good morning, my friends. It is so good to be back among you. That quote that I opened with was written by wonderful Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor. She offered that and her wonderful book, An Altar in the World, and these words ring true for me with clarity and conviction. They have an economy and an urgency about them, and they challenge me to my very core, not unlike the gospel lesson we just heard. Both seem to point to the unavoidable reality that our walk as Christians is paved with discomfort because we are too often either unable or simply unwilling to love our neighbor as ourselves. In this morning's passage from Luke, we are once again with Jesus, this time as a dinner guest at the home of a religious leader. And what happens? Jesus seems to offer two pieces of advice. The first to those attending the dinner party, and the second host throwing the party. So first, to the guests, he says, from the words of one of my favorite Tim McGraw songs, always be humble and kind. Seems basic enough, but in this context, there seems to be something else going on. Upon arrival, observes how the invited guests are jockeying for the best seats. Now remember, in this culture where you sat in relationship to the head of the table was important for your livelihood, not just preferred. Jesus lived in what has been described as an honor and shame culture, where status is paramount to survival. And what happened at mealtime, especially as a guest in someone else's home, reflected one's position in the social order. Guests of honor were seated close to the host, while those of lesser importance sat further away. So to be invited to a better position at the table of an important host wasn't simply an honor, but it could also have tangible economic benefits to your business or your ability to support your family as well. Likewise, to be invited to a lower position could affect you adversely. 
Still, even taking all of that into account, this first piece of advice does sound like good advice, both then and now. Better to start from a lower position and then be invited higher, than place yourself ahead of others and then be asked to move lower. Point taken. But then we move on to his second piece of advice for the hosts of the dinner party. And this is where I think the rubber hits the road. To his host, he suggests, next time, do not invite anyone who could ever repay you in any way. Remember what we just said about status and honor and how much it mattered for a person and family's well-being in that culture? So why in the world would Jesus be admonishing the host for doing what would have been expected and maybe even prudent. And why? Why would he say the host would be blessed if they invited those who could not give anything in return? Is this just a reminder to be altruistic and an encouragement to do good? A kind of first century plea for pro bono work? Why on earth? Why on earth waste an opportunity for social commerce by inviting those who have nothing to give you, who can do nothing for you, and who typically mean nothing to you? Ha, there it is, and there it is. Did you hear that last question? Let me put it a different way. Why squander an opportunity to get ahead and secure your own financial security by inviting to feed someone who means nothing to you because they can do nothing for you. Here's our boy Jesus at his finest. The kingdom of God, or what we have been saying now, the reclaiming the kinship of God. This is that moment somehow Jesus always seems to lead us back to. Why do something for someone who has nothing to give you in return? Or why invite someone who has been invisible to you in the past? Or why throw away an opportunity for you to get in ahead? Why indeed, Jesus asks and answers. Because that's the heart of the kinship of God. That's the spiritual discipline of loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's the spiritual discipline of building the beloved community. That's the spiritual discipline of becoming more together than we could ever be on our own. So now I wonder about us. How differently might we react to these two pieces of advice today? Would we feel defensive if Jesus showed up and told us, first, we should be more humble and kind, and second, we should be maybe less calculating and transactional in what we do with and for others? We should be ridiculously generous in giving to others, listening to others, even noticing and acknowledging others, and especially doing those things with people we would otherwise ignore or maybe even avoid. I don't know about you, but that second one pushes some of my buttons. 
You think, I'm, I think I'm pretty nice and a generous person most of the time, especially when I'm wearing my collar. But truth is, I spend much of my time with like-minded people. And I am not always pushing myself to either seek out or much less put myself in situations where I am the stranger. But that's the spiritual discipline, isn't it? That's the work, the call, the invitation to grow into the kinship of God. I think that's what Jesus was getting at. And I think still yearns for us to move towards today. Saying that we live in a divisive culture might be the understatement of the decade. Where economics and education and politics and xenophobia, racism, classism, sexism, and homophobia continue to divide us and keep us locked in fear from one another much of the time. What I take from Jesus' advice today is clear, fervent, and the urgent reminder that we are still in need of more compassion, humility, and a greater sense of our shared humanity. To follow Jesus and attempt to emulate some of what he is always trying to teach us means that we must consider how willing we are to dissolve so many of the walls that keep us divided. And one way, I think, to start is to practice by paying more attention to others. Small acts, small acts of change might just help shift something inside of each of us that needs stirring and changing. Two small examples this morning come to mind. Years ago, I had a period of time in the Diocese of Michigan where I had lunch with another colleague. And he did something each and every time we went out to eat that at first I dismissed, and then I realized I could see this as a spiritual discipline. Often when you go to a restaurant, the server comes up to your table and says, hi, my name is Lisa, and I'm here to take care of you. And my friend Chris would always say, with his hand outstretched, my name is Chris, and I hope we take care of each other. Time after time after time, he did that. And at first I thought it was kind of quirky. And then I realized that actually, though let's just say there is always a power dynamic when one person is doing this for a living and the other person is doing this, choosing to be in a restaurant. It was a small but mighty act that I realized could, not always, but could change the dynamics of an entire shared meal. The second example is one that we are trying to live into right now here at Trinity. Most of you have come along with me as I've tried to do this. Names are important. Not always, but usually our names are the names that our mothers or our caretakers gave us at birth. A very precious, sacred time. And so every morning now at 9 o'clock on Sundays when we serve community breakfast, we ask all of our volunteers to wear, and many of them have them on right now, your first name on one of those one-cent sticker name tags. And it allows us to greet everybody coming in, to introduce ourselves, and to ask them if we might be honored by learning their name. 
and then serving them by name, trying to break down years, years of division. We have as much, if not more, to receive from any of our guests that come and share a meal with us. Of course, these are small examples, and I want us to think about other shifts in attitudes and practice as well. But sometimes starting with something the most tangible can then point us in the right direction. Jesus had a gift for making strangers into friends, a kind of holy and divine practice that just seemed to melt divisions and create communities of hope and healing. And he was able to make it happen in some of the most contentious, disparate, and unlikely of circumstances. He didn't do it in order to leverage his position. In fact, most of the time in Scripture, when we hear stories of Jesus melting barriers, he's done it either at great risk or for sure to get on the let's never invite him back list. But Jesus was clear. And Jesus was committed and calls us for the sake of the gospel to do the things large and small, to grow, grow our spiritual muscles into a discipline of trying to love our neighbors as ourselves. I don't think it is too much of an exaggeration to think that developing our ability to meet someone else and convert what we would otherwise see as a difference or a distance into a connection through compassion. I don't think it's an exaggeration to think that doing that may be one of the most sacred things we could do to rescue the institution of the church from becoming evermore irrelevant and dismissive in so many people's lives. It is hard work until, it is hard work until something inside of us shifts and we embrace that connection is essential for our well-being. <clears throat> it's for that reason I'm so grateful that week after week, year after year, generation after generation, we are invited to this table. We're invited to this table to share bread and wine, connecting us all. Not because this is a table with answers to the world's problems, but because coming to this table invites a tangible way of, well, let me just say it this way, getting over our big bad selves. A time to set apart to remember what motivates and sustains each of our choices, our challenges, our biases, implicit and explicit, and encourages us to grow in love. Coming to this table invites us to become bridge builders, seeking out those who have a different story than we do, and learning to pay attention with deep honor and respect, as Christ did with each person he met. And finally, coming to this table invites us to remember that we are called to the spiritual discipline of loving our neighbors as ourselves, as frightening and liberating as that may be as we continue the journey growing together as followers of the way. May we work hard this week to recognize some part of ourselves in every person we meet, and then choose to care for and about that person as instinctively 
as we do about ourselves. May it be so.